Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so glad to be here with you. Happy new week. Happy Monday. Hope you guys had a great weekend. We have had a couple of really fun episodes in a row. I hope you've gotten a chance to hear them all. If not, go ahead and back up and make sure you listen to Grant Skeldon. Um, Monday was our buddy Tim Tebow and Max Licato. So many of y'all have really enjoyed the combo of conversations and I did too. I totally loved it. So we had a week of dudes and now we've got a week of ladies. So today is my friend Haley Morgan. You probably know her if you have been in our space for a little bit. She helped found the Influence Conference and the Influence Network. Haley is the author of multiple books. Her most recent, the one I really wanted to talk to her about, is called Preach to Yourself When Your Inner Critic Comes Calling, Talk Back with Truth. It actually is a book birthday twin with Remember God, which I'm so, so happy about. And so I um, hope you enjoy this conversation with one of my favorite preachers. Yeah, one of my very favorite preachers, my friend Haley Morgan. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm really good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for doing this today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to chat with you. I feel like it's been a long time. I know. As I was going to say, it's really fun to get to talk to you because I feel like in real life, we haven't seen each other in a long time. Why is that? I don't really know. I think maybe because both of us have been in like book, like cave mode or something. I don't know. And I think we used to see each other a lot because we were, I would come to your conference. Yeah, that's right. I used to be down in Nashville a lot more often right, too. Right, so right. back up a little bit and talk about influence. Do y'all, it still exists? It doesn't exist anymore. No, it has closed. And, you know, there's definitely times I miss it still because it was such a thing. And mostly just, I miss the face-to-face seeing people like book writing is great, but it can get a little, because I don't travel to speak very often because of having 9,000 children. Yeah, that's right. You have a lot of dudes you're raising. I do. I do. It can feel like I miss seeing the people face to face. So I think that's what I miss most about it. But yeah, we finished that season felt like, um, we kind of set out what we accomplished to do. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Cause I think that's so interesting. Like the courage it takes to to end something. Well, I am a person who has a thousand ideas. And if I felt like I had to do all of them forever, I don't think I'd start anything. Yeah. And so for me, it is, it did, it does take courage. There's a few things lately that I've kind of, we're kind of seeing the end of a season and it's all things that were good in season. And it's healthy to, to finish well. Mm-hmm. And then to see where the Lord's moving in something new. And there is a part, I think that millennials, especially kind of, and maybe it's the generation before us, but I think that institutions are not surviving like they used to. I think mm-hmm. that this idea of like, we're going to start something new and we're going to tear down. I do think we'll miss some of some institutions. And I think that as I get older, the more invested in the idea of building something lasting matters to me. And you're not talking about churches. You're talking about no, um, not other churches. institutions we're building. Yeah. I just think schools, I think, I think anything in a community that has lasting tradition, lasting power, I think it grounds people and gives people a sense of belonging. And I didn't even realize with influence at the time, but even when we finished that, there were people that felt like they were missing something. Right. And so 
I think that's a good lesson for me of being willing to let something go when it's finished, when you've finished Mm. what you set out to do, but also look to the future and try to build things that, that last and that have staying power and that you build. I mean, we started influence when we were so young and I think also building things in a way that's sustainable and in a way that um, isn't personality driven and it's not, it can last beyond you, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's just kind of a gift when you model for people building something and ending something, right? It is. And I think it does take your discerning and you're looking and as you're in something, sometimes while you're in it and you're doing it, it can be so hard to tell whether it's still serving people and it's still serving you and also that you're still honoring and serving the Lord and not just mm-hmm. doing it to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause as a doer, as a person who likes to start things and likes to get things going, it can be tempting for me to just do the thing yeah. because it's fun and it's, yeah. um, and a lot of times it's life giving and great. And then you just have to evaluate and you have to just see if it's done. And yeah, yeah, these are all just, they're all life lessons and they're all things that I think you learn as you grow. And the thing I love about the internet, and that's the whole reason we started Influence was we saw people using the internet all the time. And we just thought if they're going to use it, like let's use it for good. Yes. And that's great. I still believe that the internet is a powerful tool for good. And I think that it's the way people communicate. And to me, it's always just been the same as the printing press. Like it's just a new way to disseminate information. But a thing about young women and social media and the internet now, and it's so democratized and there's nobody saying, no, you can't go do something, which I love. I love that there are, there's endless opportunity to go and do and start and lead. Um, and you're equipped and empowered and all that. I think it's really beautiful, but it does lead to the thing of what happens when we grow out of something. And so that I think is something that we will have to watch carefully what people kind of a step ahead of us are doing and try to do it in a way that honors the Lord and honors people. Did something happen that made you know, was there like a, a moment that you and Jess knew like, okay, we need to end this. Or was it like, Okay, it's time to assess what would we would what we would do next. Oh, I don't know that we're supposed to I don't know that we're gonna keep going with this. So back up after Wild and Free came out, uh-huh. which was in twenty sixteen. Yeah, which is the book y'all wrote together. Yes. I felt just toasty and done. Like it launching the book just it was I just felt really overexposed publicly and not because of what we had written at all, but just the process of promoting the book and just doing the thing, you know, I, it just was a lot and I needed to reevaluate how I was being in the public eye. And it was something I never set out to do any of this stuff. And so for me, it was just really foreign and unexpected. And it's not like it happened to me for sure. I played every part in it and it was good. And it was, I look back on that season and it's so sweet, but it took a lot out of me. And so at the end of that season, Jess and I decided that I would take like just a sabbatical from influence and I would kind of take the summer off. And I spent a lot of it with my family and a weird thing happened. I came back from that as a lot of times you do from a sabbatical with a renewed vision and excitement and refreshment about everything. Yeah. But 
simultaneously, my team was carrying more of the load because I wasn't there. And they were processing a lot of questions and a lot of things of, is this done? Do we still want to do this? Is this still life-giving? And so we kind of crossed paths. And so at that point, I didn't feel released from the Lord about it. Yeah. And what does that feel like when you do feel that? Like, how do you, what feeling would have felt right? Yeah. For me, it's when I, these are the same questions that I'm asking people. Like, break that down right. for me. What does that's I'm serious? That's what I'm saying, Haley. I'm like, tell me yeah. how that felt for you. Yeah, I think it's it's just a feeling of closure or a feeling of um, because I'm an idea person. It's like I just know when things are done. When it's just the well kind of dries up, and it feels like I'm scraping to come up with the ideas rather than like letting the Lord fill it. And so I felt like, like I had renewed vision and like I could keep going. So the team, the team kind of decided they were going to be done. They all had different opportunities and things that they were walking into. And we tried to reboot it with a new team, but I'm a really terrible people manager. And it just, um, that part, was a part that took the life out of it really quickly for me because it just was, (laughs) it just was the managing of all the other things. And so then a year later, we just decided to close the doors for good. And it actually, I think that year was a super refining and growing year for me personally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was really good in a lot of ways. So I do feel like even just that little jolt, it moved things for me to see where I was going next. And I wasn't there yet. So I'm grateful for it. There's several things like that right now where my youngest child just went to kindergarten. And so my life looks really different than it did five years ago. And so there's a lot of things that it's like, is this the best thing right now? Is this um, the thing that really should get my attention? And when Eli, my youngest, went to kindergarten, I was just telling my husband after like, I was texting with Jess Connolly um, that I did Influence and Wild and Free with. Yeah. And just like, what is it like when um, her youngest, Cannon, our boys are like two weeks apart. So it was like, what was it like when he went to school full time? Like, give me the details. And I, she rem- or I remember her saying like, the first week you feel like you're missing your arm. The second week, you feel like, oh, this isn't so bad. And by the third week, you're like, how did I ever have children at home? I don't know. And it's so true. After like a month, I felt like a new human. I felt like, what did I, how did I ever get anything done? I feel like new mental clarity. Like, and so it really feels like a new season where feels like a very productive time in life. Like I'm entering the season, not where I'm trying to figure myself out but where I'm starting to like run in the things that the Lord's given me. And so I just want those to be like the best and the right things. Yeah. Talk a little bit, because you and I exist in the same world, even to the degree that our books released on the same day this month, which is awesome. Yours is called Preach to Yourself. Mine was Remember God. So, I mean, we run in the same same world so much. Tell me how you have defined, because one of the things I love about you, Haley, is it seems like from my seat in your life, 
it seems like you have really defined what your lane is and you are in it Mm -hmm. and you aren't competing to be in someone else's lane. You're just wanting to honor God the best you can in the lane you've been given. Mm -hmm. How is that? And how did you figure that out? I'm glad that that's the perception because that's how it feels in my heart, but it's also been a really hard fought battle to get there. Yeah. And, um, part of it is I'm one of those people take, I'm not a fast processor. It takes me a long time to kind of come to sureness. I always say my mind is like a rock tumbler. It's like all of the raw rocks go in right? and it takes a long stinking time and it's noisy and it clangs around. But then eventually after a long, long time, a nice shiny rock pops out. And for me, once that nice shiny rock pops out, it's like, I can't go back. Mm -hmm. I can't violate that thing that the Lord has given me. And so I know the kind of life that I don't want and that wouldn't be life-giving for me in this season. And I, I have come to the place of being okay with what that looks like when it's fleshed out, both the benefits and the consequences of that. And it's so much better for me when I can run in my own lane, then I'm not competing against anybody. I'm just running my own race and I'm not even really competing against myself because I'm not competing with who I was five years ago or who I'm going to be in three years. I can just kind of pace after the Lord where I'm at. There's, um, I think it's Ephesians 2.10. It talks about how God's already prepared the work for us um, that he has. And that has been so big in my life because as an Enneagram 3, it's always been about doing more for me. You know, I know you love the Enneagram. I yeah. struggle with the three sometimes because... Yeah. Do you know I struggle with threes too? I really love you, but threes are hard for me. <laughs> yeah. And I struggle. I think I have a really strong four wing, which makes me feel... I was listening to your podcast with Andy Andrew this morning. Yeah. And she was saying how she's a nine with an eight wing. Yep. And that makes her crazy. And I feel like <laughs> I'm a three with a four wing and that makes me crazy because the four like keeps my three in check. It like says it sure go do the things but it has to be in a way that feels like it has integrity to you yeah and so that has been the thing that even just figuring that out has given me a lot of freedom to say oh i will be miserable if i try to do this according to whatever way i perceive it should be done and also i forgot where i was going with that but oh. i remembered um, oh, i was like you were doing good you had me girl <laughs> No, the Ephesians 2.10 verse, I've always held to that because when I was younger and I'm, you know, not super old and wise now, but when I was younger, I just felt like I was always hustling for my worth and my validation. And I always was looking to the next thing to make me happy, to make me feel fulfilled, to make me feel like I was doing a good job and being able to look at that verse and know like, yeah, right. God's already got this all planned. Like there is no rush. I'm not trying to get somewhere faster than he is. I can just walk forward with him in it. That has been super, super relieving for me and super life-giving for me. Yeah. What was the process of you going, here's what I'm uniquely on this planet to do? Like, how did you find your lane? Okay, so this is going like... Because I feel like that's a lot of what preach to yourself is, right? It's like, 
It's a very Haley book to me. <laughs> That's what lots of people have said. And I don't didn't do anything intentionally to go do that or to really set out to like, quote unquote, find myself. But um, this is just going very like transparently and very um, just I'll be myself. But writing a book with Jess, when, when you write with anybody to then go and write by yourself, you have to figure out what your voice is. Yep. But it was a really good exercise for me because I was able to lean into the fullness of my voice and who I am. And I, I know she would say the same with Wild and Free. Like we both wrote in our own voices every other chapter, but there was a lot of co-creating together, which I missed so much yeah. in writing on my own. I missed that like refining and back and forth and all of that. But we always joke, like, seriously, up until the last day, we turned in the manuscript. I was like, on the last day, I was like, Jess, what what exactly do we mean by wild? (laughs) And she was like, Haley, we're turning the stinking book in today. Like, get a grip on yourself. But I was like, but I have to know what it means. It has to all go together for me. And so I was really able to do that with Preach to Yourself. I was really able to just dive fully into it. In that, I just had to embrace like, there have to be people on the internet who are like me. Yeah. <laughs> like they're my brand of weird has to match up with somebody else's brand of weird. And in all of the, all of the ways that um, life can feel lonely for anybody, that means that my, my feeling of loneliness might match up with somebody else's feeling of loneliness. And then maybe we won't feel so lonely. Yeah. Oh gosh. Say that. That's just been my experience in the world. Like people have never really known what to do with me. Um, And then that is magnified in the church because I don't think a lot of times the church knows what to do with, with a lot of people. And so I think this is just my effort to say, like, I'm just going to lean, I'm just going to be fully myself and let, let that fall where it may. Somebody said to me yesterday, like, it's very voicey that like, it sounds like, me, which I feel like is like the greatest compliment. So I was excited about that. Yeah. Do you feel like that's true? Do you feel like this is, I mean, I feel like that's kind of what you're saying, that this is the book where you're getting to, as you said the other day on text message, mostly Haley. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like I have been able to come into myself and you know how it goes when you write a book, and then you have to go and release it. Like you're normally fighting for the same thing that you're writing for, like in real time. And at least that's how it's been for me. And it's maddening because you just want to like, can I just master this and then put it on the shelf? Like that would be super. Mm. But normally I'm still processing through it. And I just, a couple weeks before the book came out, I just was like, I'm actually making myself crazy. I am like circling the drain. And it was like, I had been in the depths when I was writing, but then, you know, you come out of it and then you promote it and you talk about it. And so it was like, it just kind of crept back in this, like, who are you even like just circling the drain on the same old dumb stuff. And I just got to the point where I was like, I cannot, I cannot do this. Like it ends here. I was on my knees and asking other people to pray with me, like just I have to be myself. I have to be like fully okay with that. And it was like the Lord 
open the clouds for me. And it really felt like a really sweet gift. It felt like all of a sudden the shiny rock popped out from the rock tumbler just in time, like just in time to launch the book. So that felt like a sweet gift from the Lord for sure. Yeah. One of my favorite things about you is our personalities are really different, but we like each other a ton, but our personalities are so different. I mean, I assume I like you a ton. I probably shouldn't make such assumptions. (laughs) Haley, you know that you like me so That's not what I mean. What I meant is that like my personality is way more um, frequent in this job than yours is. Yeah. One of the things I would love for you to speak to is women who aren't loud and women who aren't the wild version of the way people traditionally define that. To me, you're a real solid friend. You're a real reliable friend. Your, Your voice is really consistent and safe. And... I would love for you to speak into what it's been like to be one of the forefront women in our sphere that is representing your personality. Yeah. Well, it's hard. So the world doesn't really, the social media world doesn't really favor, uh, for lack of a better word, because I can't think of one off the top of my head, like restraint. And I'm not saying that anybody who who speaks frequently or loudly or anything is not restrained. That's not what I mean, because I don't feel like I'm restraining myself. I feel like I have to shove myself out into the spotlight. Like when I was going to promote this book, I knew I could not steward it well if I was living out of my flesh and out of what I wanted to do, because what I wanted to do was go like tell my four boys like, Hey, this is how you preach to yourself. But unfortunately we already own four copies of the book. So that wasn't going to really like get the message out there. And I don't love the spotlight. It's a very weird part of my personality. And it's what I've never fully jived with the three Enneagram thing about, right? Because it seems that threes really want to be seen and want to be seen as whatever threes want to be seen as. But I don't love the spotlight. I think a lot of it, honestly, too, Annie, comes from seeing the criticism that is lobbed at women in the spotlight. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so I think that it quieted me a lot. If you look at my like online body of work, you can see that there is a, a time online where I got really quiet Yeah, and I can pinpoint for you exactly where it is. And I might text it to you privately. I know exactly where it was for me. And it felt threatening to have a voice publicly. And yet this is what God has called me to do. And so there was a lot of wrestling with like, how do I do this in a way that I can actually thrive in life doing and do it well and do the work justice. I have so many complicated thoughts about it. I it's want so to complicated it, it is. And for me, because I'm a big doofus, everything is connected. No, so I have you, a hard no, time so right. extricating one thing. Um, but it's what gets me just going around the drain. Mm. So for me, I really want to lead the younger women well, like the 17, 18, 19 year olds that are coming up behind us. I want to lead them well in I I don't want them to think it's very hard for you or I to say, you don't need a big public platform to serve the Lord. Like it, you roll your eyes and you say like, okay, sure. Cool. But I also don't, I think as women and women in the church, there is a, an implicit message of like, just simmer down, just 
be mm. like fit into yeah, a tidy box yeah. and don't get too uppity. And I also live in the Midwest. So I think that's also Midwestern is the like, you never call attention to yourself. Don't make yourself into the the thing. But I am now firmly convinced that I can't squelch it. Like as this book was coming out, I really did work with the Lord of like, what if I don't write another book? Like this is the last book on my contract. What if I don't write another book? I came to the place of like, I will find another way to say it. Like I love creating. There's a thousand billion ways to communicate now and I'll just find another way. And I, I came to a place of a, a lot of peace in my heart that like, this is not the thing for me. Like, yes, I love writing books. I don't mean that writing books is not the thing for me, but it's not an idol. It's not something that I am trying to gain attention from or anything like that. And so from there, I knew that because my heart was right with the Lord, that then I could go and I could spread the message and that the message was the thing. And I could kind of sit back and I could kind of like not have to be a personality or a persona. Oh, come on. So that is kind of where I landed with it. And as I was going and trying to be obedient in that and trying to steward it well, I really looked at, just kind of looked around for where the Lord was kind of leading me. And there were three like little mantras that I kind of, I mean, the whole book of Preach to Yourself is like replacing things that aren't true with things that are true. And this isn't scripture, but for me, I saw like a poster that said, use your voice. And I saw a book that said, bang that drum. And then the idea of going for it. Like those were the three things that I just told myself over and over and over and over. (laughs) Like, we're going to do it. We're going to be out there. It's going to be a thing. And I think it's weird because I always have had something to say. And I came up on the internet in a time where that was great. Like I didn't have to really fight for a place. But then that's a funny thing because I just don't know that I don't know that my personality type would really naturally succeed on doing the online thing if I didn't start when I started. Uh-huh. <laughs> I uh-huh. think um, I think that it would just I would be one of those people that was like, you don't need a platform <laughs> like you because I just it doesn't come naturally to want to put myself out there all the time. But I'm doing it, Annie. Girl, I know. And I do love, I mean, you're right. People like you and I who have been in this for a decade and and who have followers or whatever, it is hard to say you don't need a platform. But legitimately, I think some of the most important ministry I'm doing is nothing that I'm doing on the internet. Like, and you too, you know, like in these women and men who are raising their families and going to their jobs. I mean, I have relationships and friendships that we talk about Jesus all the time that nobody knows about. Right. Right. (laughs) And I go like, that's the kind of stuff that I think now my job really matters. And I am head over heels in love with this podcast. And I love what I get to do on Instagram. Like I'm having the best time with work, but I also think like, man, I I love the coffee conversations I'm having with people right now too. Right. And I think what I came down to, cause I really wrestled with this. And when I started all of this, because I didn't intend to create anything that would last a decade. Um, I just thought it was fun. It was like an outpouring of my gifting. It was just the way I did things, the way I communicated. And so when you're just doing something you think is fun, it feels like, um, I think you can be tempted to think you're doing it for yourself because it's fun. You enjoy it. But when I went through that whole thing of what if I didn't write another book, like that come to Jesus moment, I really realized like, 
no, this is like my calling and not necessarily book writing, but ministry. And this is a great and exciting outpouring. And it just is an exciting way to do that. But if it wasn't this, it would be something else. And that would be just as life-giving and fulfilling if it was ordained by the Lord. But it took me a really long time, Annie, to get to the place where to say like, no, but this work is important. And because I just thought this work was fun. And I had to fight for that because with my personality, if I don't want to be out in the spotlight and this work is just fun, then anytime somebody might approach me and say like, are you doing this to like get attention? Or I'm sure you've heard the things like that's really painful. That feels like a huge wound when you're not sure that like, no, this is, I'm doing this because I'm called to do it. And I had to get to that point. That's right. And I think I would say the same feelings maybe are what you had to wrestle with when y'all were making decisions about influence too, is what are we actually called to? Whether it's to build an audience or to walk away from an audience, right? you have to figure out what you're called to. Yeah, I totally agree. What is it like raising four dudes? It's four, right? Yeah. You and Mike have four? Yeah. Because I think about Amber Haynes as well. And Amber and Seth are also a four guy kind of family. Yep. And then Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So many of y'all, but your ministry really is to women. Isn't that the weirdest? Yeah. So what's that like? Yeah. I really wrestled with that because I've been like a women's ministry weirdo since I was in high school. I just loved the idea of women taking their place in the kingdom of God. And then I just thought, oh, of course, I'll have like a handful of girls because then I can like raise them up to know that I'll have like right. the most influence and it will be wonderful. And then it's like one boy after another, after another, after another came every two years for, you know, eight years, about six years of my life, however long it took. And it was the most bonkers thing to be like, okay. And especially Annie in this um, day and age that we're in where there's I think that the world as a whole is grappling with what it looks like for women to be equal to men and how that plays out in um, just what it all looks like. Yeah. And then it's a very, very weird to have boys because I've been a- accused of being like, but what about the men? What about the men? Right. And I'm like, right. I know I have four of them right. actually that <laughs> I'm, I'm very concerned for. Yeah. Right. And I'm very concerned for their future and not in a way that I think that women are going to be a detriment to them, but that I want them to grow up in a world where there's the fullness of expression of the person of God in the church. And to do that, women have to take their place and they have to be allowed to take their place. And so it has been this really interesting push and pull. But for me, I think it just makes me well-rounded. It just helps me to see both ends of it. And it is funny when people accuse me of like being too like pro-woman because I'm like, guys, did you miss that part of my bio? That right. I don't have any girl children. Like my whole legacy is boys. Yeah. I want the best for them. But it's been very exciting and very um I did mourn the the not having a daughter thing for sure. But it does feel like then an extra spiritual burden to love women well. I mean, I think that's really interesting because I don't know that I knew that about your story that it was hard. I mean, I it, 
I would have thought, but it, that it was hard not to have a daughter yeah, because of how passionate you are about women's ministry. So many of us, well, all of us mm-hmm. have things we want that we don't have. For sure. Everyone. Yeah. And there are times where you end up getting what you want at some point and there are times where you don't. What was it like for you to go, this is our family. I don't have a daughter and I thought I would and I wanted one. What was that process like for you? What were those? Yeah. Walk through that a little bit. I knew I didn't want five kids. I mean, I definitely could, if that's what the Lord wants, sure, great. But it seemed like a big life jump for me, like a different car right, and things like five. that. Yeah. But to go to from four to five felt like as a the methodology of how we do our family, it felt like a lot. So four felt good. That felt like that was the end of things. Um, but I always just had this, like, maybe, maybe the Lord's going to do something. I don't know. And it, it, my youngest is almost six. And I would say it took me about four years to really agree with the Lord. Like this is it. And I think I kind of kept that hope alive of like, maybe we will have a girl in some weird God kind of way. Um, And like when we went to see Wonder Woman, Mike and I, I came out like actually sobbing of like, I don't get to have a girl that like I get to teach these things to. And that's such a funny response because normally in my day to day, I'm super thrilled to have four boys. It's the actual most fun life ever. It doesn't feel like a day to day deficit in my life. But when I really stop to think about the heartbeat that I have as a woman, not being able to pass that on in like a the most intimate kind of way, yeah. that feels hard. Yeah. It, but, 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 but. To counter that, I am really excited for when they start families and to be a really good mother-in-law, maybe hopefully someday. I mean, sure, chances are with four of them, I'll get at least one (laughs) daughter-in-law. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the math is in your favor. Right, at least. One of them will, yeah, bring you a daughter-in-law, you would hope. Exactly. You know, my husband, when we found out that our fourth was a boy in the ultrasound, he cried. He was so sad not to have a girl. And I was kind of like, But I, my identity that I know myself as is a boy mom. So if I had a girl, I wouldn't really be a boy mom anymore. Like the amount of boys I had wouldn't change, but I wouldn't be one of those people that's like, you have all boys. Right. So I was fine with it in the moment. It wasn't until later that it really like kind of hit me. And I think that gives us all so much permission to have these moments. You don't have to grieve or mourn that kind of loss once and be fine. Right. You're allowed to have moments of like, man, it is sad to me today Yeah, for a a tiny little reason or a tiny little Wonder Woman moment. Right. And my husband just like looked at me and smirked and was like, I know it stinks. We'll miss like our idea of what a little girl might have been. But like there's so many other ways to. And honestly, it has given me a huge passion for women in the church um, because I can't work it out in my day to day. Like, I don't get to look at daughters and say, I want you to grow to be this kind of woman. And I hope that there's space for you to grow to be this kind of woman. And so since I don't have that, and this is kind of the beauty of the family of God. There was Mike's aunt one time. We moved 600 miles away from home when we first got married. And she said, you know, the beauty of the family of God is that you have family wherever you go. And for some reason, that was very comforting to me. And it's still very comforting in the idea of like, yeah, I don't have biological daughters, but it there is a place within the family of God for me to work out those, like the maternal longings of what I would want for a child. 
Does that make any sense? Oh my gosh. Well, as a woman who doesn't have any kids, for sure it does, you know? And and I love kids. My friend Nancy says, she calls it, that before her kids had kids, she had grandmother energy. Yes. And so she used that grandmother energy elsewhere. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I have mom energy. I just don't have kids to use it towards. So I use it towards other people's kids. And it's that what you're saying is you have girl mom energy. Right, <laughs> right. And it's not like a wackadoodle spiritual thing. It's just a pure like, I have energy in the direction of being a parent and you have energy in the direction of being a mother to daughters. Yeah. And so you are expressing that energy. It just doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look. Right. And I wonder if so much of like our our hang up in understanding that in the American church is just the really strong emphasis on the nuclear family. I wonder if this is not just a more normal idea in the the church globally. Um, because to me, it, it makes all the sense in the world when you look at scripture, when it's like, who's my mother? Who's my brother? And those sorts of questions. It makes all the sense in the world that we would use that energy that we have and push it toward the church. Yeah. One of my favorite pastors, I think you know him too, Scott Sauls, he said the other week at church that the two things the American church is idolizing right now in a negative way are politics and the nuclear family. Yeah, I agree. And I thought, oh man, that is that as a single woman who would love to have a nuclear family at some point, but doesn't today that like that felt so freeing to go like, oh, because even I have moments of blinks of going, did I do this wrong? Like, did I do something wrong? Yeah. Like, did Joshua Harris and I kiss dating goodbye ruin my whole <laughs> life? You know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I hear stuff in my head that's like, you're doing church wrong because you haven't figured out, quote, quote, how to have a nuclear family. Yeah. And then Scott Saul says something like that. And I go, oh, okay. Everyone thinks this is a little unbalanced. Okay. 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. fine. Right. And like, it isn't a good or godly expression. Like, and not that the nuclear family isn't, but the the elevated importance of, I would say, is not the most healthy. (laughs) So what, what does it look like in your, cause you're leading so many different women through your books and st- I mean, you're like you talked about earlier, your influence from influence is long lasting. It is not, I mean, right. But one thing I've noticed you've done a lot lately is you kind of have spoken up politically and spoken up a lot in like some, in some spaces that I was kind of like, okay, Haley, I see you, <laughs> Haley Morgan. What's yeah. You doing? yeah. How do you decide that line of what you talk about, what you don't talk about? And what made it the right time for you to go, I'm leading a lot of different women, single, married, moms, non-moms, and I need to say some of this stuff that I believe. One thing I think I have a lot of freedom in is that my husband is not a pastor. So I think I have a lot more wiggle room than some of my friends who are writers, who they are very tied to a place of neutrality, I guess, in so it's not a thing in their church. Um, so I do recognize that I think I have a little more, not leniency, but I have more room to wiggle, I think. And my husband doesn't care. He's like, I know you're so mouthy. Like, please have an outlet <laughs> for it. That's so great. But for me, okay. So for me, several years ago, people came to us at Influence and said, why are your speakers all white? Why is your whole team all white? And it was a huge wake up call for me. 
it was mortifying. It was humiliating. It, but not, they did not intend that to be. And it was not their fault that that's how I took it, but it was my sin being exposed. And um, to learn that publicly and to have to sort through that publicly was painful in a really, really good way. Yeah. And it was, it tore off any pretense of thinking that we had the market on doing things right because we realized how big of a blind spot that we had. And it was totally just ignorant. It wasn't malicious, but it was very ignorant. And the impact of it was detrimental. Mm. And so our whole team, like all of us, Jess, Rach Kincaid, I mean, everybody, we went through a years long process of repenting and learning and listening. And that coincided, the tail end of that coincided with the um, beginning of the whole Trump political thing. Right. And to me, it felt like my eyes had been opened in a way that I couldn't, I was not using my privilege for something that was good if I stayed silent about it. And I try not to weigh in on every single thing. Um, Mike kind of challenged, my husband kind of challenged me to maybe write out like the things that are kind of like red lines for me. That, <laughs> like a yes and no line. Like when this comes up, I will say, if it's right. something else, I won't. Oh, that's right. brilliant. That's a and great piece of advice. He was like, you just don't want to be the person who's shouting about everything because then you nobody hears anything that you're saying. But he challenged me to really go to the Lord and to to really know what it was that I was trying to speak out against. And I think as women who do have a platform, I think that we have a lot of influence to change things for the better. And it doesn't mean we have, doesn't mean we have to. And there is that toxic part of the discourse that we're in right now where people feel like they deserve to hear. They're entitled to know what you think on every issue. And they think if they don't hear from us, we aren't active or aren't caring. Exactly. And I think that that is toxic and I don't think it's moving the ball forward as far as any kind of growth goes. That's right. But on the things that do feel like if I'm silent on this, then it's really just me wanting to be comfortable. Um, And if it's things I would say to my real life friends, then I should probably at least attempt to have an educated voice in the matter. So it's been challenging. And I listen, I live in the most conservative county in a very conservative state. And so even the idea of like equality among men and women is something that people will, will say that is a good idea. But when it comes down to it, it doesn't look like a, when I travel and I go other places, I'm like, oh, this highlights for me, like maybe some of the work that's still left to be done where I live. Yeah. In some ways, it's easier to say it online than it is to to find my people in my real life and say the same things. And I do it still so that I'm a whole person. But sometimes it's easier to say it to the masses than it is to say to your friend yeah, <laughs> that's across the table. Yeah. How have you, have you found friends or do you have friends that think real differently than you that you do sit across the table from? Yeah. I mean, I would say there are very few people that I'm in relationship with that feel like I do or as strongly as I do about some of the social issues that we're facing. Mm-hmm. I think the majority of people that I'm in relationship with kind of look at me like I'm a lot 
and that like, who am I to have these opinions? Um, and I love them. They're my dear friends, but it's kind of like a good for me, not for you sort of attitude a little bit. And it's, I know I'm going against like massive cultural force, you know, like just decades and decades and centuries of ingrained Midwestern kind of attitudes and ideals. And it, so I don't, I don't expect people to like totally change their mind about things, but it does leave me with a lot of the sense of like, I am a lot. <laughs> this is a, this, no, I am not a lot. Get out of here. That is not true. <laughs> it can feel like not it sometimes here in um, the great state of Indiana. I do love Indiana. I've lived here my literal whole life, but yeah, I believe you. I just think it, um, it is what your book preached yourself is. It is, Haley becoming more and more Haley. And I, because I'm trying to do the same thing, you know? Right. I know. I see that. What's your hashtag? Always Annie. Always Annie. Always Annie. Yeah. For better or for worse, sister. Always Annie. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm just so inspired by how well you do that. Don't hear me saying that you were this, but now you're this. I mean, you've always been awesome, but we've all grown. Hopefully. I mean, hopefully we're different people than we were when we met 10 years ago. Right. right? But But it's just so inspiring for me to see you like, and to hear the backstory, to hear you and Mike's conversation is so interesting to me because it has felt like a very, um, you've been so intentional to be you and to speak about what matters to you and to write the books that, that we need that can only come from you. And I, so I just, this isn't a question. This is me just honoring you as your friend and going like, you've done it. You've done what so many of us want to do. I appreciate that. eh? And I also feel like watching women like you and like Jess, who um, there is that side of like the, if we're talking about wild and free, the whole like just walking as God made you. I think it's something we have to like relearn how to do as women and maybe as men too. I haven't, I haven't watched that part with my boys yet of like watching them kind of lose their childlikeness and then go through adolescence and then have to find their childlikeness again in adulthood. I haven't watched that yet but I have watched it in all the women that I know. And there is this sense of having to reclaim who you are and to have to fully accept who you are. And I feel like I, I mean, I got married when I was three, three weeks after I turned 20, I got married. I had Noah when I was 21. I was done having kids by the time I was 27. And I was starting all, I mean, I was already like knee deep into all of the professional ministry stuff that I do. And so I was very, very young. And I just feel like I always wanted to be 30. Like, I think I wanted to be 30 when I was 11. I just thought like, (laughs) like, let me eat Snickers and Kit Kats for breakfast, please. Nobody tell me what to do. And so I kind of feel like I'm just coming into myself. And I think that that feeling of coming into myself, like as the Lord made me and as Lord intended I think it makes me excited for, as I get a little older, helping other women do the same. Because I think it's something we really need. We really need women who are willing to fully be themselves and they're like all their weird things. Because who wants to go through their whole life like with a mask on and pretending? And that's just exhausting. And it doesn't allow other people to be who they are. Right. I mean, that's the truth of it is if you are walking around trying to be someone else, you're asking everyone else to be someone else too. Right. Which is really a terrible thing to do to people. A terrible thing to do to people. <laughs> and so the, the more I am working and have been working, I'm like, okay, what is being 
Annie look like and and what is being because I heard a pastor say this recently, Haley. He he said, the longer we're in this faith walk, God didn't ask us all to become God. Right? Like he his goal wasn't for us to become God. His goal was for us to come become the most godly version of us. Yeah. Like he doesn't want Annie to not be Annie. Right. He just wants to be holy and close to him and doing the best I can and being fully Annie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the more I'm doing that, the more I'm realizing, man, there was a time in my life where I didn't like when other people were being that fully themselves because I couldn't figure out how to do it for me. Right. And how do we, how do we open that up for people? I mean, I, yeah. What's the answer? Well, I wish I knew. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I do think it's a great start. My friend Susie Davis, she's a writer too. She's like my mom's age and she's kind of like my spiritual her. mom. Yeah, I love her. I know. Her. Isn't she amazing? She told me a long time ago, she was the first person to say, hey, Haley, I think you'll write a book. Like literally the first person to say oh, that wow. to me. But a long, long time ago, she said, do you really want to be plastic? Like, do you really want, because I was really having a hard time a long time ago with a small group that I was in because I was like, I can't get these people to be real. I feel like they're just giving me like fake answers or like the right answer that they think I want to hear. And she was like, listen, you just have to like let your flag fly and you have to give them permission to be them. And she's like, you don't want to walk around really guarded all the time. And you don't want to walk around like you have it together because it keeps other people in the bondage of feeling like they have to have it all together too. Yeah. When we yeah. all know it's just not true. We just can't do it's it. It's just not true. Yeah. I mean, how many times do we have to say from stages and in books and on Insta story, this isn't real. Right. This isn't the whole thing. Right. Everyone has bad days and behind the scenes and things that they're struggling with and hard days. And yet we still compare ourselves to what everyone else presents as their best self. Yeah. I was just at Nest Fest the other day um, oh, with Michael and Smith. Him. Yeah. With us. So many of our friends were there. Yeah. And Mike and I lived in Charlotte about eight years ago for about four years. And so Michael and I went to church together. We were like friends and I got to watch her with her three boys when I had two boys and um, she'd come over to my house and she's, you know, a half, half skip ahead of me age wise and with her family. And I would be like furiously sweeping before she'd come over and she'd come over and she'd kick off her shoes and she'd say like, these crumbs make me feel like I'm at home <laughs> and just watch Like everybody's like, weren't you so offended? And I was like, no, no. If you come to my house, you know, crumbs. I'm like, keep your shoes on, please. Yeah. Like the crumbs are just part of the like, part of the decor in my house. So um, I was not offended, but just watching a woman who was a little bit ahead of me in life live really surely of who she was gave me a lot of freedom to learn to do the same thing. I wasn't naturally great at it then, but being able to see it modeled really helped. And I've I've been grateful to have women like that in my life. And I want to be that kind of woman for the younger girls who are coming up behind me. Because Annie, I don't know if you have recognized this in speaking to like younger women, but I don't know if you've noticed the kind of inability or um, lack of to feel confident in making a decision for them. Like when I'm talking to like 20 to 25 year olds, they're paralyzed by indecision because they want to make the perfect decision. Right. (laughs) I desperately want to live my life in an open way so that they can know, like you just make the best decision with what you know at the time. And then 
you trust yourself that you can figure it out. And you also trust the Lord that he's not just going to walk away. So I think I'm really trying. I'm just like you with the always anything. I'm trying to do the same thing over here. So I'm glad to know that that's kind of maybe what the Lord's doing. Yeah, I think so. It, it, it's what he's doing in ministry between you and me, from you to me. That's the ministry yeah. I'm receiving. So that's I what he's doing that. for us. I love I'm it. So grateful, man. I'm I'm excited for everybody. I, I know a ton of my friends already have preached to yourself, but for those that don't, I think it's just such a good like. And it's not about getting up on a stage. It's about how you tell yourself the truth and what you're saying when you look in the mirror, and how you become the the version of you that is the most true, that is the most connected to your child like self. I think. And just that you can live with yourself. Like we, I was, I saw a quote the other day that was just like, out of all the voices that you hear every day, you hear your own voice the most. Yeah. And we need to learn to make friends with our own voice and to learn to speak kindly to ourselves, And, and also just to, to tell ourselves the things that are true. Yeah. And we live in a, in a world that's just full of bad news and there's no reason to be bad news to ourselves. Okay. Yeah, you're right. There's no reason to be bad news to ourselves. That's good, girl. Hey, listen, I've taken up plenty of your time, but will you do my favorite ending of the show? Cause it's called that sounds fun. We always end by asking what sounds fun to you? Like what is, what do you do for fun, Haley? Yeah, I paint for fun. I don't really care what it looks like or that it's good. I just do it because I it's, I've loved I've loved art since I was a tiny kid. I studied art history in Italy for a while um, in college, and I just love it. It's something that I can create that literally has no, I'm not selling it. Nobody else right, is seeing it. Right. It's just for fun. I love the act of going and picking out new paint. I love everything about it. So that's what I do for fun. And what do you do with them usually? Um, I make a really big stack of them, and then a lot of times I throw them away. Sometimes I give them to people, but that feels really presumptuous. I don't even really care what I do with them, honestly, Annie. I just do it for like the very act of creating. And it's it's something that feels like so little pressure. It's just very refreshing mm-hmm. for me. Okay. Will you show have you put some on the internet? Have I not seen them? There are some on Instagram. Okay. You can they're not like hashtagged. They're just like in okay. my feed, but you can okay. see them. On We're it. gonna go back and stalk them and leave all sorts of comments about how beautiful they are. <laughs> so that is gonna be our goal. It's really fun. It's really fun. I love it. Hey, thank you so much for doing this, Haley. I just think the world of you. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you, Annie. I appreciate it. It's so fun. Y'all, I'm telling you that that girl, she does not mess around. She is she may be small, but she is mighty. Haley Morgan does not play. Hey, make sure you follow Haley in all the places. Her Instagram is Haley.e.morgan. And just so you know, Haley is H-A-Y-L-E-Y. And her Twitter is Haley E. Morgan. So make sure you follow her. Tell her thanks for being on the show. And make sure you grab a copy of Preach to Yourself. It is a helpful powerful book that I think you're really, really going to love. I'm so grateful to Haley for all the ways she speaks out about what matters to her and does it with wisdom and kindness. And I think she is someone that we should all follow in a million different ways, not only 
in social media ways, but in how we are making some decisions too. So, hey, if I can do anything for you, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. You know it. Come up and talk to me in an airport, in a restaurant, at my church, uh, at events, all the places. But if you can't see me in real life, if we aren't in the same place, you can always find me on the internet. Annie F. Downs, F as in fancy. I'm anywhere you could want to find me. So that is Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just come on and find me there. And I would love to say, hey, It's a super exciting week around here as well. You may have seen on my Instagram over the last couple of weeks. And if you remember, I got to go to Scotland in the end of August because we were doing a photo shoot for a magazine. And this week, the magazine releases. If you're a subscriber to Good Grit, you should have already received it in the mail. And if you aren't, it's in your local, especially in the Southeast, it's in 17 states. You can go on goodgritmag.com, put in your zip code, and it'll tell you where the magazine is available for you to purchase. But it is out. It's so fun. The whole issue, just so you know, it isn't just the um, cover story. I got to curate the whole thing. I wrote a couple of exclusive pieces. All my friends are featured. It is super, super fun. And so Thursday on the show, Laura Bento, the founder, CEO of Good Grit, will be here with us. We'll be talking all about the issue and tell you how you can get an autographed copy. So, hey, go out there and do something that sounds fun to you. And then meet me back here on Thursday so we can talk about Good Grit Magazine. Y'all have a great week and I will see you Thursday.